Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. It's what this parable of the ten virgins is about, is readiness, preparedness. Um, you ever been in over your head, been, been overwhelmed before? When I was a senior in high school, um, I was, had the opportunity to be a part of all-state chorus, all-state choir one of uh, two or three from our school that were. And I was, I was a bass two in, in our choir. Bass two means you sing the lowest of the lowest, <laughs> lowest parts. What's, what's a couple of lines below the staff, bass clef? Low C is a couple of lines below the bass clef. That's, I could sing about a low C. And I thought that was pretty decent until I got to the all-state choir practice. And... I was out of my league. I mean, I was in way, way over my head. There was guys around me that, I mean, they were rumbling the rafters. And it was, it was one of the neatest things I was ever a part of because at the first rehearsal, we, we, of course, we're in this section, and there's probably probably 40 of us guys, of us bass twos. The choir was probably three or 400 people. Probably 40 of us guys all singing the same part, and, and I'm just surrounded by all these guys, and it just feels like you're in a you know, let's get ready to rumble kind of kind of deal. And so for a while, for the first probably 10 minutes of rehearsal, I just stood there and listened, you know, to these guys. I think, oh, I need, I need to go back to the house because I, I can't sing this low. I can't sing this deep. But then I found myself, listen, I can do this. I can, you know, I can, I can jump in here with these guys. And I, and I did, and it was a great experience. But <laughs> my first foray into that was with fear and trepidation because I realized I was, I'm out of my league here. I mean, those guys can sing way louder, way lower than I can. And I went in probably thinking I was all that. And, and, and got there the first day, I realized, son, you're out of your league. You need to go back to the house. You're, you're just, you're blessed to be here. So, so count your blessings and move on. And there've been other situations like that too in life. I'm sure you've had them where you just, you step into a situation or circumstance and think, whoa, I don't have what it takes to pull this off. I'm, either I'm going to need some help or I'm going to need to get somebody else to do this because I can't, I can't handle all of this. That was the situation that five of these virgins found themselves in, in this story. And as I say, it's all about preparedness and readiness. And so I want us to think in those terms today um, in terms of a ready follower, follower. But let's look at this text together in Matthew 25. The first uh, 13 verses together tell this story. It says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking again, in parables, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all ten virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, 
because you do not know the day or the hour. All about readiness. The ready follower is what we're going to look at here. The ready follower will, first of all, recognize their need to prepare. Look at how this story folds out. Verse 3, the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, verse 4, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy. They took their lamps to meet the bridegroom. Um, they, They weren't exactly sure when he was coming, but they were sure that he was coming. That's important to know. All this, all this story about the bridegroom, of course, is metaphorically about the return of Christ and the bride, uh, uh, the, the, the virgins being the bride of Christ, being the church, and the bridegroom being the son himself at his return. So they knew, didn't know exactly when he was coming, but knew that he was coming. So they take lamps just in case he comes at night, just in case he comes at a time when, when, when uh, he's, he's uh, you know, couldn't recognize them. Um, the difference here, though, in this story is that five were wise and five were foolish. Now, I've heard theologians take this in the direction of as many as half who think them, themselves to be saved are not and will not consequently enter the kingdom of God. Uh, I don't know whether that needs to be taken there or not, but you, 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 you decipher that as you will. Um, I, don't, I don't know that, that I know that not everybody, the Scripture says, who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, the Scripture says. So there'll be some who think they know him, who, who, who don't have a relationship with him, who just know about him but don't know him personally. But the difference here, the biggest difference between these, these five wise and these five foolish virgins was really centers around one thing, and that one thing is emotion. All these virgins were excited about the fact that the bridegroom was coming, and could they be the one chosen? Perhaps even more than one. It was culturally, culturally normal in that, in, in that day and time to have more than one, one wife, but certainly not ten at one time, marry ten at one time. But could they be the one chosen? So you know, there, there was this excitement, there was, there was emotion in, in this moment that causes them to grab their lamps because hopefully in grabbing their lamps they, they think themselves, these, these ten virgins, at least to be mildly attractive. Because if he comes at night, they're going to hold the lamp up. Here I am, dude, pick me. I mean, it's, it's whatever this, what, uh, what's this show on TV now? All these girls show up, this one guy, uh, The Bachelor. The Bachelor, kind of, kind of, kind of the Bachelor story here in, in the Scripture. And and if he comes at night, I want to reveal my beauty to this to, to this bridegroom so that he'll pick me above all the rest. So that's why the lamps are taken, so that they can be recognized and 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 consequently chosen for all of this. So this emotion though causes these five foolish ones to leave out and leave without any oil. Five take oil, you know the story. Five not. So the giddiness and the emotion and the excitement and the upheaval of the fact that they could be chosen as the bridegroom's bride, or at least as one of them, causes five to leave without any oil. Now, there's nothing, the deeper story there is that there's nothing wrong with emotion. But if emotion is what drives your day, you're going to be left at the end of the story disappointed. You're going to be left at the end of most stories, sometimes alone, sometimes without but usually, usually consequently disappointed. There is, there is this idea in this story that, that preparedness and readiness says to emotion, have it, keep it, be excited about it, but don't let it in there. Uh, let your emotion move you to a point where I'm not only excited about his coming, and I hope we are as, as his bride, excited, excited about his coming again, but I've got a plan for it. I've got a plan for his return. And my life is, is being lived according to the plan of anticipating, living with a sense of anticipation and excitement that he's coming again. And it could be, by the, by the way things are going on in our world, could be very soon. 
So that readiness and that excitement and that, that idea has, has caused me to come up and craft a plan. Five did, five did not. Five went on emotion alone. And the other five probably had the same emotion. They just took some oil with them. They had a plan. Um, it's kind of like life insurance. Probably most of you in this room have, have some, some kind of life insurance. Um, here's my question for you. And there's nothing wrong. Please don't, don't, in this story, don't go sell your life insurance or cancel your policies or anything. That's not what I'm about to say. But here's, here's kind of a probing, prodding question at you this morning. That's this. Um, are you more prepared for your leaving than you are his coming? Most of us are. Most of us sitting here in this room are far more prepared for our leaving, far more prepared for our death, for our, we're far more prepared for us to leave than for him to come. Now, if that's true of us, something needs to change about that equation. These five, five were prepared for his coming. Five were just excited about his coming. They were, they were ready for a few moments for his coming. But, but the other five were in for the long haul. If it takes all night, if it takes a couple of nights, depending on when he comes, we don't know when he's coming, we just know that he's coming. And we're ready when he does. There's a sense of, in these five wise, uh, these five wise versions, there's a sense of, if it's me, okay. If it's not, okay. But I want to be ready, whether it's me or not. I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to be left with, without the ability for him to, to recognize me. So a, a ready follower will recognize their need to prepare and will move beyond the giddiness of the moment into something that matters, into something that's real, into something that, that as I say, has a plan to it. Um, Secondly, uh, a ready follower will not only recognize the need to prepare, but a ready follower will never grow complacent. Look at verses 5 and 6. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. They all became drowsy, verse 5 says, and fell asleep. Here's my question. Why didn't they select one at a time to keep watch? I mean, there's ten of them. Why didn't they say, why didn't they say okay, you take the first whatever, hour, couple hours, you wake me up, I'll take the... Why didn't they come up with some kind of rotation? For, for, for the, and and here's, the, here's, I think, the answer to that question is their eyes were on each other instead of on the bridegroom. They didn't want to be upstaged. They didn't want to miss anything. They didn't want the, the, the one standing watch to, to, to see the bridegroom coming and go out to meet him ahead of the, the other nine. And say, Here I am. I'm the one you come to see. I'm the one you come to... They didn't want to be upstaged or outdone by anybody. There was, their eyes were on each other. And there was probably some inherent jealousy going on there. Not The story doesn't, doesn't say that, but hey, we know women. There was, there was, there was probably some, some inherent jealousy that was going on there and was working in that moment um, to, to where you know, it, would, it would, would have been a simple thing to say, one, one of us keep watch and then we'll take turns and rotate. It's a great lesson for us. When you and I get our eyes on each other, and off of him, it's far less likely that we're going to be ready when he comes, that we're going to be prepared when he comes and prepared for his coming. Um, and, and I think that the story here is as long as they weren't one-upped by each other, they were okay. They didn't matter, it didn't matter whether, whether the, 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 the level playing surface was up here or down here or up here. As long as they were not any better or not any worse than the, the, the girl next to them, they were okay with that. And there's some, as I say, there's some great danger in our being complacent and staying where we are and being content with the circumstances we have and being content to, to say, you know, that's, that's just, that's it. That's as good as it ever gets for me. This is as good as my spiritual existence will ever be, as good as my church existence will ever be, as, as deep as I will ever grow in the Lord. And there, was some, there was some complacency in this story that you and I need to move beyond and live beyond and plan for beyond. Um, 
Well, I think the result of, of, of there not being a watchman tells us in, in an indirect way that we need watchmen. We need somebody to watch. We need somebody to, to, sound, the, to sound the sentry, to, 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 to sound the cry, the alarm. And I would submit to you that I'm, I am one. I, at least I'm yours as your pastor of this church. I'm your watchman. I mean, I'm here to try week after week and, and beyond that to say, are we ready? To say, here's truth in the midst of a culture that doesn't receive it. Here's right in the midst of wrongness and grayness and dullness that is being numbed down every day, every week, every month, every year. We need watchmen. Jesus Christ was the watchman of his day in the midst of a culture that was extremely legalistic, a Jewish culture that was extremely legalistic. He, he pours grace all over that, and he pours mercy all over that. And he steps in the middle of their legalism and says, you're the wrong one, not him, not, the, not these folks. You're the one. The one who's made the rules, you're the one who's in the wrong. He steps in the middle of that culture and speaks truth in a loving way, but sometimes very harsh, harshly at least to the religious guys and, and more loving to folks like you and me. But he says, there's, there's truth here that you're not seeing. And I think every culture from that to this needs truth tellers, needs watchmen to say, listen, here's the truth in the midst of what you're seeing in our culture, the grayness that's going on. Here's the truth in the midst of that. And that's where we have to stand. Um, every, not only every, every culture, every church, but every home needs a watchman. Men, you're the watchman of your home. It's your responsibility to speak truth into that home, whether it's convenient, whether it's inconvenient, whether it's liked, whether it's disliked, whether you're agreed with or whether you're not. Your job is to speak truth into that home and be the watchman uh, to, to, so that there's readiness in your home and it's, it's not found complacent. Um, complacency is incremental, too. As I often say, that's how the enemy works. He works incrementally. And complacency is that way. It's incremental. It never, it never just jumps in your lap and, and it consumes you. It's one day at a time. It's one decision at a time. Complacency says he's coming one day, just not today. That's what complacency says. And those who are ready, who, who have their, their lamps trimmed and plenty of oil says, and it could be today. Yes, he's coming, and it could be today. Am I ready to meet him today? Am I ready to see him today? Thirdly, a ready follower will not only recognize their need to prepare and will never grow complacent, a ready follower will know their identity. Look at verse 7. All the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. You know the story. There's not enough for both of us. You, go, you guys go buy some. You go buy some, and, and, and there's not enough to go around. We'll, we'll, we'll all lose if we, if we start sharing oil. So they woke up and trimmed their lamps, as I said earlier. Why? So that they could be identified by the bridegroom. So that the bridegroom could see them and identify, there's the one I want, there's the one I want, there's the one I want. They needed to be identified. In the dark, he's going to walk on by all ten of them, if he can't see all ten of them. And, and, and this story says, at the midnight cry, or at the midnight, the cry rang out. In other words, it was the middle of the night. These gals were asleep. And so here he comes, and the only way he's going to pick one is to, so he, if he can see what he's picking, the bridegroom can see what he's picking. So there's this, uh, this need to identify themselves so that they can be seen by him. Uh, the, the, the message there is, in, in a dark place, light needs to be given so that all the cracks can be revealed. You know, it's, um, it's, you know, it's been said that, that prettiness and beauty are skin deep, but ugly glows clear to the bone. Well, I don't know whether that's true or not, but th- th- he wasn't going to pick something that he couldn't see and that he couldn't take home with him that he wasn't proud of when he, when he left the place. Well, what's the lesson? What's the, what's the hidden truth in that? The hidden truth is this, is that you and I are designed and called not only to need light, 
but to be light to other folks. Uh, Matthew 5 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bowl, put it under a bushel, but on a stand, so that it gives light to everybody who's in the house, so that all can see. Light is reflective like that. It's, it's to draw people into itself so that they can see and be and not stumble. Um, it, it's it <clears throat> in this in the context of this story, light was to reveal themselves so that they could be seen by him and known by him. It's 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 vitally important that you be known by him, by the master, by the bridegroom that's coming to receive us. Um, <clears throat> are you? Uh, not not just do you know him, but are you known by him? When you stand before him one of these days, <clears throat> excuse me, will he call your name? I don't know if it'll be what your mom and dad named you. Uh, hey, hey, Tim, welcome. I'm glad to see you. I don't know if it'll be the name your mom and dad named you or the name he has for you. And they may be the same. I don't know. The, the, the scripture speaks to, to God renaming people at different points and different for different reasons. I don't know if that's true of all of us. If we get new names and we enter, enter eternity, eternity or not. But if he knows you, that's all important. Far more important than your knowing him. And your knowing him is eternally important. But his knowing you is vitally important. It's not, not only important to your eternity, but important to your here and now, important how you function here. That, that ought to be of, of paramount, paramount importance to you, that your identity is, is known and, and, and revealed. But finally, this fourth thing is that a ready follower will live in light of eternity. Will live in light of eternity. Look at what he says there in verse 13. Therefore keep watch... Because you do not know the day nor the hour. Keep watch. You do not know the day nor the hour. Look up in uh, chapter 21, verse 44. It says, So also you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. At an hour when you do not expect Him. And then down here, you don't know the day or the hour. Consequently, be ready. When we least expect Him to come, the Scripture is teaching us here, why is it when we least? Why is it that he he he? It, it is when we least expect it. I would submit to you because we have we, we have become and are becoming complacent, complacent with the status quo, complacent with compared to his life, my life's okay. Compared to her life, I look pretty good. When we grow complacent with the status quo around us, that that our culture starts to define who we are and our readiness and our goodness and our our sense of 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 of. Our being eternally ready, when that's defined by folks around us, as, as we looked at earlier just a moment ago, uh, we start to get in, in deep trouble because the status quo will always be the status quo. It will always be, how little can I get by with and still be okay? Wasn't that that way in school? Well, maybe, maybe you were more driven than me. I just want to be better than the next guy in class. I didn't, know, I didn't care if that was a C. I didn't care if that was a D. I, didn't, I just want to be better than the next guy next to me. That's the same way on the athletic field. I didn't care if I, you know, if I threw 10 touchdown passes as long as the other team threw nine. I didn't, or if I didn't throw, throw one, if we just kicked a field goal, as long as we won. As long as, we're, as long as I'm that much better than the next guy. And so what he's saying here is if that's, if that's your vision, if that's your idea, you're going, to, you're going to miss seeing the very things I want you to see. I want you to look through life with an eternal lens and, and move beyond just what's around you, just beyond what you see, just beyond the relationships that you know, just beyond the things that you've been exposed to. Look beyond those things to see I'm up to something eternal here, not only in you but around you. And we never see that if, if the status quo is status quo, if it's all we're willing to see and all we're willing to know. Um, that's hard to do. I would submit to you, it's hard. Here's, 
we, when we went through uh, uh, some teaching, actually almost a year ago now, probably a little over a year ago, uh, in First and Second Peter, and and in, and also in James about suffering, and we talked about adversity, and we talked about difficulty, and talked about challenge, and talked about crisis, and talked about suffering, and talked about the things that God can do in us in the midst of those kinds of times. We see here that the status quo doesn't lead us anywhere, but crisis does. What moves us beyond the status quo most of the time is crisis. What moves us beyond what is known and what is easy and what is predictable and what is manageable is a hard place. And we learn more in those places than in any other place. Why? Because we don't care what anybody else thinks. At that time, we're in crisis or in a hard place or we're in suffering. We don't care what the status quo is. All we want is, I want out. I want deliverance. I want to know something different than what I know today. That's why we come to know him far deeper, most of the time, far deeper and in a far more intense level in crisis and in suffering and in hurt than we do when things are clicking. When things are clicking, as I said, as long as I'm clicking along okay compared to him, compared to her, I'm okay. But when I'm in crisis and my life's not working and there's suffering or there's hurt or there's pain or there's what you fill in the blank of whatever your suffering, your crisis looks like, whatever your hard place is, when we're there, we need help. And he becomes more real to us in those moments than in any other time. And so we don't really, we lose sight of what everybody else is doing because we don't care about it. It's a far less importance than our issue and what we're, what we're going through at that time. And so, as I say, whether that's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether it's relational, it doesn't matter. We, we, we need to see him in those moments of crisis and we learn far deeply that he's up to something eternal here. It's not just for today. Yes, it may be for this lesson for today, but this lesson for today is about tomorrow. It's about the next day. It's about the next. And he's always up to an eternal end in what he's doing and what he's doing or, or what he's up to. Um, we, we say as believers, and we talk a lot about this, and, and, and I have too, to you and with you, that we expect his coming and we expect his return, and maybe that's soon. We are living in, in, in days where the clock is winding down and, and, and the midnight cry is coming. We believe that that, that, that that is coming soon. Here's my question, though, is do we live like we believe that? Is our expect, do we live with a sense of anticipation, a sense of expectation that pushes us into, is it today? Could it be, is my time, is my talent, is my treasure being spent and invested and, 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 and sacrificed in such a way that it reflects, I hope it's today. I hope he sees this today. I hope it's... it's um, and are, are your family, is your vocation, are the relationships around you, are they a means to an eternal end, or are they just a means to getting by today, getting by from week to week, from month to month, from paycheck to paycheck, from situation to from crisis to crisis? Do I live my life based on event to event to event, to situation to situation, or do I live my life with a, looking through a lens that says all these things are circumstantial and the results of all of them, the results of all of them, we're going to burn up. Is my life spent in focus on the fact that he is coming again? And in light of the fact that he is coming again, am I looking at this situation, this health issue, this financial issue, this relational issue? Am I looking at these things through an eternal lens? Is he up to something bigger than just what this issue is about today? And the answer to that is always, always, always. Yes, he is. He's always up to something bigger. He's always up to something deeper. Do we see it? No, we don't always because we're consumed with the crisis of the moment. We don't look through, through, through life or look at life through an eternal lens. And it's so vitally important that we do. It's, it, that sense of preparedness and readiness causes us to live differently. 
It causes us to see the, the significance and insignificance of, of things far more quickly. If we're looking through an eternal lens, car trouble is not that big a deal. It's car trouble. If we're looking through an eternal lens, a job loss is not that it's significant, but it's not as significant as that, as my eternity. If we're looking through an eternal lens, the death of a loved one, while deep and hurtful and loss, is nothing compared to that. I don't want to lose that. I'd rather lose them than that. If I'm looking at life through an eternal lens, uh, hardship and difficulty and, and, and bringing preschoolers and a five-year-old into a home, if I'm looking at life through an eternal lens, that's hard. But I, that's nothing compared to that. You see, if we're looking at life through an eternal lens, the things we see become, the focus becomes different. And consequently, we live with a different sense of priority. Our priorities are that that's what matters most. Eternity is what matters most. This is situational. It's circumstantial. Does it bother me? Yeah. Does it get to me? Yeah. Does it rub me the wrong way? Yeah. Do I see it bigger and more significant than I should? Probably. But that is of paramount importance. And everything else should prioritize itself beneath our eternal lens. Is that easy to do? No, it's not. It's hard to do because we live in this world. We live in a broken place full of, full of broken things and broken people. And so we, we, it's, it's hard not to, to, to look at life through a cracked and broken lens. But that's not how he's called us to look at life. He's called us to look at life with oil in the, ready at the, at the side and a lamp continually burning to say, he's coming again. And I hope that's in my lifetime, but even if he's not coming again, eternity is waiting for me there, whether he, whether he brings it or whether I go get it. Eternity is waiting for me, and so that's the thing that should matter to me most. It's the thing that should, 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 it should affect everything around me, my vocation, my family, my friends, my money, my time. That should affect everything around me. So I guess as we close here is, is the, the, the real question, in, 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 in does it, is are you ready for his coming? A simple question. Are you ready for his coming? Do you live with a sense of anticipation? Do you live with a sense of excitement? Do you live with a sense of anxiety even about it? Um, do you know him? Are you known by him? Is your life a reflection of those things? Here's another thought, too, that, that relates to that in your readiness for his coming. And not only do you know him, but whatever you're up to, whether it's your vocation, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a relationship, whatever, whatever you're up to, if he returns today, are you comfortable with him finding you doing that? Whatever that is. If he returns today or tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday, are you comfortable with him finding you doing that? And, and the answer to that may be yes. I'm not saying that the answer is always no. But it is a sobering question of how much effort and energy and time and, and, and resources that we put into things, the results of which are going to burn up. The results at the end of the day are, are they're, they're going to be ashes. And I wonder if our readiness... <laughs> is justified by salvation. If our readiness is just, well, I know him. I'm going to heaven, and that's great, and I'm tickled for you. But there's far deeper than that in, in, in having some oil on the side. Having some oil on the side says, yeah, it's my salvation. I mean, the, the light's burning, but I'm ready for more. In fact, I want more than just what's, just what's being illuminated by what's here today. I've got more oil on the ready to pour in. To, I want more than what I'm experiencing. I want to know more than what I've known. I want to experience more than what I've experienced. I want to see a side of him that I've never seen. I want to dig deeper into my faith. I want the thing. I want to see eternal significance into, into the ripple effect of, ah, that is up to this, and God's up to that with this. 
And here's what this meant five years ago. And I, ne- I never could connect the dots until today. And so this is what that situation five years ago was about. This is what that conversation was about, or this job loss, or this. That's what God was up to. And when we start seeing him connect the dots and seeing an eternal plan that began before we were ever born, that began before creation for us, we start to see that, ah, I am, he sees me through an eternal lens and plans for me for eternity. The more I see him that way and the more I plan and live my life intentionally in that direction, the far, I mean, the more this, of this makes far more sense. I can start to say, here's what God's up to. Rather than trying to say, you know, good grief, this and this and this, and, and the, how do I keep all the plates spinning? And we, when we start to look at life through an eternal lens, we throw all the plates away, all of them, and say, that's, that's the singular focus of my life and everything else. Everything else takes a subservient role to that, regardless of what it is or how important it is. So are you ready, to, are you ready for his coming? And secondly, here's, here's probably as important a question as that. Do those around you know it? To those around you know you're ready for his coming. To those around you sense something in you that is there's a longing. You're not satisfied. You're, you're, you don't find fulfillment here, and you never will, and you know it. And so you, just, you, you, let, you let things go here that would otherwise bother other folks. You're, you're willing to, you know, that's an earthly thing. That's a carnal thing. It's, it's, it, is it important today? Yeah. Will it be important six weeks from now? Probably not. So uh, you, you tend to live with a, with a different sense of priority than people around you live with, and they recognize those things. Do the people around you know? Do they see your readiness for his coming? Um, here's, <laughs> here's, here's a great thing to do if you're bold enough to do it. Ask them that. Ask folks at work. Ask some of your family. Is there, do you see a readiness in me for, for Christ's return? If he returned today, um, would, would, would you see an excitement in me? Would you see something that's, that's, that's just, that has to make no transition into stepping from here into there? They don't have to grab some things. Don't have to read more scripture. Don't have to go witness to 12 more people. Is there a readiness in me to step from here to there? Do you see that in me? That there's zero transition from, from this life into that life? And if they, if they, depending on how they answer that question, it'll, it'll be a good gauge to say, my life needs to change. <laughs> I mean, some of the things about my conversation, about my priorities, about my relationships, they may need to change. I may need to change vocation. I may need to change location. I may need to change some things about me that have hindered my ability to, to, to live and, and, and share a more contagious faith. Um, he's telling this story because readiness and preparedness is important to him. It should be important to us. It should be important to us to, to the extent that not just do we know Jesus as our Savior, but is our life consumed with this, with a sense that there's more than this? This isn't it. In fact, this isn't even close to it. I don't know why we spend our energies and our time on the things that 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 are far too important to most believers than should be. And is that a hard transition? Sure, it is sometimes. But that's what He's called us to. That's where that's where He's called us to live. The question is, are we there? Are we ready? Are we prepared for His coming? Do others around us know it? Do we look at life? Are we living? looking through an eternal lens? Or do we just see today for today and we'll handle tomorrow when it comes and we'll handle the next day when it comes? If we're living with an eternal lens, whatever tomorrow comes, comes. Whatever Thursday brings, it brings. Whatever next month has, it has. He's still there. I'm, I'm walking with him because my life is about there more than here. Now, can I lose sight of here and, 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 and be totally oblivious to the needs of people around me? Sure, that's taking it too far. He's called us 
to, to minister and love and serve people here, but in light of there. And our motivation for serving them here is what happens there. And our motivation for seeing their needs here is what happens there. And he's coming again. And I, I, are, you, are you cool with him finding you doing what you're doing, being where you're being at the stage of life you're at? Um, only you can answer that question. If you don't like to answer that question, guess what? You can change it. You can change the outcome of that. But it starts with a commitment to say, no, I'm not content here. I'm not content where I'm at. I'm not content in my, in my life circumstance. I'm not content in my relationship with him. And I need to change. I need to move into closer relationship with him. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.